another edition of the Unicorns podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Today on the Unicorns, we're talking to Chris Christoffi, a Melbourne-based businessman, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. Chris is the CEO and founder of Reventon, a full-service investment house specializing in property investment. But it's his side hustle, raising money for the homeless, that's really of interest, especially ahead of this year's Vinnie's CEO Sleepout. Chris has set a target to break a donation record and raise a quarter of a million dollars for charity. Chris Christoffi, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Justin. Okay, let's talk business first. I'm keen to know more about your backstory, Chris, and how you founded Reventon. Okay, well, uh, how I founded Reventon was in back when I was 19 years old, I uh, got into the property market purchasing my first property. I discovered then I fell absolutely in love with the industry and that I wanted to know more and more about it and just became obsessed in learning whatever I could. And I was in sales at the time too. So I worked for a company, a Brisbane-based developer. I bought my first property and I just became absolutely immersed in that process. So then I purchased two, three, four, just kept repeating a process which I thought was very successful, which got me good results. By the age of 24, I had eight properties. <laughs> How did you afford eight properties when you were 24? I was making I was making hundreds of thousands each year. I was making the vicinity of three to four hundred thousand a year. Mm-hmm. I was quite good at selling, and um, I was actually in the industry. And at the time when I was purchasing, I was quite fortunate because the market was very very hot. So yes. Uh, coupled with the growth in my income, I was able to just keep leveraging and buying more property. And as it all later on came tumbling down, I did over leverage, and uh, the company I was working for went into receivership. Uh, they owed me over 780000 because I was a part of a franchise of that business. Okay. Um, so a lot of things went from really well to really bad within the space of 12 months. I had to move back into my parents' house, sell all my assets. And um, worst of all that, I was left with a debt of 348000 which was bad. But the point that was actually the worst part of this whole journey is I had a one-year-old son at the time who got back to him and Jodis almost died as well. He was hospitalized for two and a half weeks. He's now deaf as a result. So that all happened in a space of about a year. Oh, dear. So how did, goodness, how did you go about picking up the pieces then of your uh, professional career and and try to resurrect yourself? Well, personally and professionally at that point, I was at the lowest uh, of my career. Moving back into my, to my parents' house, you've heard the expression of eating humble pie. I was eating it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I think, at that stage. <laughs> but... Um, one thing I did know, I had a, I had a resilience and a work ethic that was undeniable. I loved real estate. And um, although it felt very difficult at the time, I thought, how do I get out of this? I thought it was a perfect time to start my company, Reventon. Mm. With a debt of 348000 all the chips stacked against me, I knew that through hard work I could power through this. But more importantly, I wanted to show my son, although he was only a year old, that you need to be fighting. You can't quit or give up. So I wanted to set an example for my son, which I could tell him a story down the track that this is how this business was created. And so what year was that, Chris? What uh, Put a timeline on it. That was the 21st of March in 2005. So it was over 17 years ago. 17 years and I think 70 and 70, uh, 
four days now. And and so okay, so you founded you founded Reventon with um, with a staff of of one. So give us a give us an idea of the size and scale of the operation now and what Reventon does. Before I do that, my vision was to always um, well, firstly to help as many Australians get into uh, financial retirement and prosperity as possible, and then get out of my debt. So in the in the seventeen year period. We've now got over um, 12 companies and brands, so we help people with property, both new and existing build, finance, property management, accounting, financial planning. We've started a new product called Rev Money. My wife started a company called Women in Wealth. And the size of the company is over 70. We're featured in over 40 major publications. We've won over 20 major industry awards, which I'm very proud of. We've um, helped over 3,000 Australians. We've currently got 944 million under management. That's in finance, assets, and investments through our financial planning firm. Um, yeah, so that's that's a very very quick quick snapshot of what we've been able to achieve. But it was always the the, the goal from day one. Yeah. And so, Chris, give us a flavour of who your who your clients are. I imagine probably from all walks of life, of all incomes. What? Why do they? Um, why do they come to Reventon? Well, basically, purchasing an investment property takes hundreds of hours, from doing the right due diligence to making sure you're not over leveraging, like I did early on in my career, to um, buying the right property. Is it local? Is it interstate? Where's the property clock at at this present point in time? What sort of bank shall I go to? Shall I have an interest only principal and interest? Um, shall I? What insurance should I take? It's basically a myriad of different things that can happen with investing. So what we did is we made sure that we had the right team of professionals to uh, simplify what is in most cases uh, referred to as a complicated and arduous process. So um, yeah, we, we can we help our clients from A to Z. We give them our own research plus our independent research. And I, um, not like many other founders, I invest in the exact same areas, locations that we recommend. I also wrote a book called Your Path to Wealth Brick by Brick, which is an Amazon bestseller. And I've come up with a formula which helps clients get into the market safely, putting the right safety nets in place and securing the right team. Tell us about um, tell us about that book, Your Path to Wealth, Brick by Brick. What's that all about? Well, um, it's a fantastic book, if I don't say so myself. <laughs> okay, so, um, very good. Uh, it, it is fantastic in the sense I've put all my hard work, I've put millions and millions of dollars of research and it's a proven and tested methodology. Now, I've been in real estate now for close to 25 years, and our management has over a couple hundred years in collective experience. But the kicker is helping 3,000 Australians get into the market using these principles. And all the mistakes that I made earlier on in my career before I started my business, like over leveraging, I made sure to put the right safety nets in place. But here's the best part, what I like about this book. In 2017, I was actually started the journey and I said, I'm going to document exactly myself purchasing real estate through using the exact methodology that I am teaching people and helping people with. Within a five-year period, I bought 14 properties using this methodology. They grew over $2 million in capital growth, had 430000 in cash flow with a positive cash flow of 191000 using this exact methodology, 100% success rate in multiple locations. So I actually show and display this at the seminars when I present to exactly where I bought and what I bought. So not only do we think it's a great strategy, not only have we helped 3,000 clients, but I'm giving people seven and a half million reasons why I know that it works, I also put my money where my mouth is. So when people are saying you to back off from real estate, now's not the right time, I was saying, I think that that is not the right advice. 
you should be buying real estate. You need to be looking where to buy. But not only was I saying that, I was actually going out there and doing it as well. So um, uh, let's get into that just a little bit further, because if you look at what's happening with the economy, uh, interest rates for the first time have gone up, inflation has gone up. And I think the general sentiment is that large parts of the Australian property market is certainly cooling a little bit. And I think if you read what a lot of the so-called experts are saying, it's like you need to be cautious, perhaps you know, take your time. Property at the moment is not necessarily the best investment. What What is your view around all of that in the current state of the Australian property market? I'm gonna start by using a quote Warren Buffett said, be fearful when people are greedy, be greedy when people are fearful. So don't do exactly what the masses are doing because by a sentiment, you hit the nail on the head by saying sentiment. Now, these people don't have, uh, in most cases, the right understanding or knowledge of the marketplace. Now, rates are going up, and I think that's absolutely fine because what that's doing is allowing 5 to 10% of the market not being in the market that shouldn't be there that are over leveraged, which, as I mentioned a couple of times, that's what I did earlier on in my career. Now, people go, when's the right time to buy property? Always yesterday if you can afford it. So the, there's... It's some areas of the market, and you also said some areas, correct, because you're taking a national average. Let's look at the areas that are growing and why they are growing. Now, in any market conditions, I can show you real estate that will grow in a certain price point that has a high rental yield and good cash flow and good capital growth because it's where you buy and what you buy. There's always emerging markets. So if you're looking at it holistically and you're looking at Australia, there's always, and you look at the property clock, nine o'clock's an emerging market. If you're looking at a market that's already booming, you're probably too late. So, we'll, and I'll give you a couple of examples. I was purchasing real estate and selling real estate in Geelong in 2014. Now, for those of you who don't know, I was selling four bedroom homes there for high threes, low fours, hundred thousands. They're worth high sevens to, to low eights now. The clients have made a ton of money, but the rent, what's interesting about that is the rents were 420 when the purchases were 400,000. Now the rents are only like 480, 500, but the property prices are high sevens. So it doesn't necessarily translate to better cash flow, which is why we need to look at different marketplaces. So what I will say is speak to an expert if you're fearful, but the right time to invest is always yesterday in some area in Australia. And so if we if we look at um, some of the the hotspots that are on your radar screen at the moment nationwide. Where are some of the areas of interest for you and where potentially you're telling clients to have a close look at? That's a good question. But before I actually answer that, I'd like to say it's not one size fits all. And you should always have a conversation with someone to understand what your safe borrowing capacity is. What's your net disposable income? How much you can afford each week? Because if you're borrowing exactly to the top of your borrowing capacity and you can't afford an interest rate rise, or you can't afford the property to not be 10 to 52 weeks of the year, maybe you need to reconsider your strategy. So the short answer to your question, what, what's exciting now? Regional Victoria is still good. We're looking at Ballarat. We looked at Ballar- uh, Bendigo. Geelong's still good, but it's I think it's had that big surge in growth. Southeast Queensland. And another very well, well-priced emerging market is Adelaide because it's underpinned by so many things. But before you go out there and spending all this money, I strongly advise all the listeners to to have an idea of what their net disposable income is, is where to buy, what to buy. Because what we do at Reventon is we look at the exact opposite way people look at real estate. And this is what they do. They go into a bank. How much can I borrow? 800,000. 
They go into a local real estate agent, they buy that property for 800, it rents for 500. Well, what's the tax, uh, what's, the, what's it gonna cost you per week? What's the tax savings on that property? And more importantly, you've got to look at, if you can borrow 800, why not borrow 500 and repay the loan off quicker while it's growing in an emerging market with a higher rental yield? So we look at the exact strategy the other way around. We flip it on its head because the first thing you should know is what's a safe amount for you to borrow? What's it not going to impact your lifestyle? Can you afford interest rate rate? There's so many variables to that question. Do you think people, uh, when they're thinking about investment properties get caught up in the actual location and the somewhat attractiveness of that location rather than whether it's going to make a good investment or not? Categorically, yes, because people traditionally are emotional investors, not logical. They invest with their heart, not with their mind. And the example I used to people, let me if I was to put two shares in front of you, one was a local share returning 5%. One was an international share returning at 30. Which would you take? Well, I'd take the one that's going to make me the most money. So what's the one reason you invest for? Well, to make money. Correct. So don't lose sight of that. So people invest for emotional reasons. Now, when you're investing in real estate, try to look at it from a logical point of view, not an emotional one. Now, and I say to people, because my dad was one of them. My dad liked to buy properties in his local area because he used to drive past and wave. Do you know how many times the properties <laughs> wave back at him? Yeah, zero. Correct. <laughs> But my dad was one of the emotional buyers, which I understand. But if you can treat it as a financial transaction and you don't get emotional about it, sure. It's nice to like the piece of real estate that you're buying and it's nice to know a bit about it. But I don't want to know too much about it because it's it's there as a logical financial decision. The minute you start to blur those lines, you start to go off track. So I remind my clients exactly why they're purchasing this property. It's to pay off my mortgage sooner. It's to build my wealth. It's to... Whatever the case may be, I'll tell them to focus on the core reason. Yeah, rather than saying, hey, I've got a property in the Mornington Peninsula or at Byron Bay. Hey, look at this street. I own three properties. I really like that property. That's mine. I find all that stuff as irrelevant personally. Well, let's let's move now to your philanthropic endeavours. Uh, this will be the fifth consecutive year that you, you are doing the Vinnie's CEO Sleepout and you've set and a very ambitious target of raising $250,000 for the homeless. How did your passion around helping the homeless get started? Well, I'll start by saying I think homelessness is just an unfortunate set of circumstances, and it's something that hasn't personally touched me, but being a kind, giving human being is something that I feel is a non-negotiable. And when I lost everything back in my 20, when I was 24, if I never had a supporting family, if I didn't have a good network, I could have well found myself homeless as well. So, And also hearing the stories of some people that were running big companies that were just unfortunate, that had a marriage breakdown, they got caught up in alcohol or drugs and it got out of hand or their second, third generation. This thing doesn't discriminate being homeless. So for me, I want to do something about it. And for a country that's one of the best countries in the world, Melbourne's particularly the most livable city. We've won seven years in a row, 11 overall, something along that those lines. Have such a big homeless rate, I can't fathom. So for me, I wanted to do something about it. And I started getting involved in vintage, which I love the work I do. I'm super, super passionate about it. And I want to be, I want to play a small part in eradicating homelessness in this country. So tell us about uh, your journey with the sleep out. This is, this is year number five. Um, and as I understand it, you've you've increased your donation goals uh, every year. 
So where, where did you start off? How much did you raise in year one? 40,000 and I pledged to raise 60 the following. I raised 60 the following and that year I pledged to raise 80 the following and 100 the next. So I pledged the next two years worth of raising. I then followed up with 80. I raised 82,177. The following year, I raised 113,173. So I, be, I kept stretching the target every year. But the question to myself was, and it's not just about money, it's also about awareness and impact. So I'm very privileged to be able to give my time and my money so I can do both. So I feel honored that I have that opportunity to do it and also I feel obligated and happy to do it. But being very competitive in my own mind, I thought if I hit my target four years in a row, did I push enough? Um, I was happy that I was one of the 0.5% of their fundraisers, but I said, I can do more. I'm going to raise 200. I go, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to call Andrew. Andrew, what's the most anyone's ever raised? He said, 229,000, Chris. It was Nick Riedel from SA Bank. I said, all right, put me down for 250 this year. He goes, what? I'm going to raise 250,000. First CEO to do it. And yep. what I plan and hope to do is that more leaders and CEOs will follow suit. I'm going to break that barrier and let's keep going. And so what's your strategy? How are you going about raising a quarter of a million dollars? Well, my strategy, funny enough, my strategy began one night before my fourth Vinny's CEO sleep out. So I was laying in bed and I was on my phone and Billy, my wife goes, what are you doing, hon? I said, I'm actually writing a strategy how I can hit 250,000 next year. She goes, the sleep out's tomorrow. I said, yeah, but I've already hit the 100. That's already gone in my head. I've got to focus on my next goal, which she knows I'm a little bit crazy when it comes to doing things. I said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. So last year I raised 113,000, but I donated dollar for dollar. So I raised about 56 and a half. I donated about 56 and a half in that vicinity. So this year I said, I'm going to donate $3 to every dollar raised. So one, one becomes four. A four times impact if you donate to Chris Christoffi for his Vinny CEO sleep out everyone. So if you're hearing it, I need your help. Please get behind me. Your money, your investment will go further. Now, $70,000 if I raise, I will personally donate $210,000. i am just using round numbers to make it easier. That's two hundred and eighty. dollars I need to raise exactly $62,500 and I'll put $187,500 to come up with that magical quarter of a million. And it's not the money. It's what that symbolizes. It's breaking the ceiling. And that can also feed the impact that money has. Now, I'm driven by money and I'm trying to create a competition without opposition with the other CEOs but I'm driven towards money. But with the impact that has, which is the most important, is that will feed 4,554 families for a day. That's what's driving me, the impact. Now, the money is pushing me because I'm competitive and I want to break that ceiling, but the impact that money is having is immense. What's the feedback been from, from your from your competitors, your other CEOs, are they, are they saying, you know, good on you or steady down, Chris, you're going you're gonna to make us look bad? Um, to be honest, I don't know. I don't really, I don't, I don't listen to any outside noise. I'm laser focused on what I need to achieve. Um, one or two that I know me, they said, Chris, we know you're going to raise the money. It's more than money. It's always been more about money, but whatever can motivate me and inspire me to raise more awareness is what I'm going to use. I'm a left brain person that's focused and driven. But as I mentioned before, competition without opposition, we're on the same team. But people like a veteran who I knew was going to raise the bar this year and probably be the second CEO or, or will equally be the first to raise the money. He's always been kind to me. He's given me information. People like John Piccolo, these are beautiful people. These CEOs are giving people that care about the community. And to be honest, working alongside them makes me very proud. 
But when I show up, I want to make sure that I show up and give 150% for this important cause because there's last year there were 1,613 amazing CEOs. And above that, there was a ton of people that donated their money. So these are the real heroes of this campaign. And they're the people that, I, that, I, that I'm working relentlessly and tirelessly alongside. When you raise the money, Chris, where does it go? What happens to the money? Well, submits and deposits is basically where all the money goes and they disperse it accordingly through, depending where that may need. Emergency, uh, people needing emergency homes, meals for a day. They, they run soup kitchens, which I'm actually going out this Friday to do that because I want to experience the whole process as well. They give clothes out to people. So there's it goes out to a number of different ways. But the thing that I love the most about Vinny's and why I can relate so much to that brand, it's no judgment. It's not, are you homeless? Do you have money? Do you need help? Here you go. They offer people hope. And for me, giving uh, without no questions and just from the kindness of your heart, I think is the only way to give. So when I committed to work with them, for me, that was everything. Do you get your uh, Do you get your wife and kids involved? Uh, last two years, uh, COVID was a virtual sleepout, and I actually said I want to do something different. I need to raise awareness. So I slept in the streets in Melbourne for two nights with no money. The first night I slept with my wife on the street. Uh, the second night I was on my own. Last year I was in the I went on the streets in Melbourne as well, because I wanted to raise awareness. I wanted to make noise. I wanted to uh, create something special. The CEOs slept in the back of their car, uh, couch or backyard, because a lot of people are experiencing homelessness asleep in these three areas. But for me, like with anything, I just want to push and see what I can do. How, how was that? How was that when you were actually on the streets on your own? It was eye-opening. It was... Um, Where'd you go? Where did I go? I was yeah. walking in the city. I ended up falling asleep where the botanical gardens is at the back. There's a 24-hour construction zone because my wife got a bit afraid because we were approached at nighttime and I realized we walked for about, I think it was 34 Ks, because was walking up and down the city. Um, that was two years ago. Mm. And the second night, I just kept walking. And what happened is I stayed awake at night. And when you walk past a homeless person, you see them maybe sleeping during the day and you think, I wonder why they're sleeping. At nighttime is when it's the most dangerous, when they get robbed, when they, they mm. steal their shoes. So a lot of their shoes are in their sleeping bags. And these are things that I'm learning more and more about each year. And it's so easy to not understand a person's circumstances. We were approached by a girl who was on the streets who was 29 for 13 years. One was incarcerated. The other one just got released from being in hospital. The, the circumstances are horrendous. And you know what happens with a bad circumstance. It just compounds into another one, another one, another one, another one. And it's hard to break that cycle. So by giving someone just a little bit of hope, that might turn their life around. And as far as my kids are concerned... When I, went, when, I, when I went home, my daughter Penelope gave me a picture of me on the street sleeping, which was really cute. They, they, they always identify when we walk past someone who's experiencing homelessness because we all, always give them money. I try to give them food and have a chat to them. And every Christmas we do, we walk the streets and we give, we write five to 10 cards, we write a nice note and give some money out. And I want my kids to understand two things, that we're very privileged and we should be grateful and not take anything for granted, but also that everyone's a human being. I want, you, I want you to treat everyone with the exact same dignity and respect because that's what they deserve. I'm going to ask you a question that I, I'm not sure what the answer is going to be. Chris, what what is it that drives you, both in business and in your personal life? My, my unquestionable uh, desire to get better at what I do, to serve 
my my family and friends and the people around me to set a good example. I just want to I just want to get better. So I I have a, a an obscene amount of energy. <laughs> I think I I have a work ethic which is I'll compare it to any human being on this planet. That's the sort of the level of work ethic I feel I have. And I have that energy after 17 and a half years as a CEO, and it's not going to stop. If anything, I'm trying to study how I can optimize my performance and get better at what I do. I, I use this example, and it's a pretty silly one, but here it is. I'm a retired man that's doing 100 hours a week with something that he loves. Very good. Now, tell me, you, you mentioned work ethic there. I think you've you've previously told me your the, the insane number of hours that you work in the office and, and actually when you're in the office. Can you amplify that for our listeners to give them a flavor of like a, a typical work week for you and, and when, you're, when you're at your desk and when you're at home? So a typical work week is I start my day very early. Um, I, I get to the office between 1 to 3 a.m. Um, I can use the last two days as an example. I got here at 3 o'clock today. Last night I left at, 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 at 8 o'clock. I got there at 3 in most cases, typically, I'll get here anywhere from one to three o'clock, depending how, how how long I stayed up the night before. I'll sleep between four and a half to five and a half hours. I'll work 15 to 18 hours. I'll go home, spend time with my kids, put them to dinner, and I'll recharge a bit on the weekend. So I'm at, I'm at my desk, yeah, that, that's what I'll leave between 5.30 to 7 p.m. most days. I'll take my kids to school two days a week because they're around the corner. So... I've incorporated as many things as I possibly can in that time frame, and I don't travel much so I can keep my uh, my work proximity close. Everything I do is close. My kids' schools, where I work, even where I cut my hair, everything's very, very close. I've designed it that way. And, and am I right in saying on weekends too, you're in the office as well? Um, I'd say it's 50-50 the last – well, I haven't taken a day off in the last, I don't know, seven, eight months, I'd say, but – in the weekends, I might come here at 2 and I'd leave at 7 a.m. and I'll go home with two coffees with my wife when the kids are up. And I might, on the weekends, a lot quieter my day. I might work from 3 to 10 hours on the weekends. Sunday, I like to prepare my day for the next week. But as I mentioned, this isn't work that I'm doing. I feel, as, I feel that passionate about being a CEO and doing what I do, as passionate for helping people and personal development. These three things, I feel like I'm already retired. At what age? How old are you? I'm turning, I'm 42. 42, wow. Now, you've got a fundraising event coming up in Melbourne in early June. It's called Lead with Kindness. Tell our listeners about that and how they could get involved. This is a, this is an amazing event that I've uh, been putting together with the help of my phenomenal team. Now, in 2020, I do have some amazing friends that support me so much. In 2020, a friend of mine who's uh, been dating my sister-in-law for years, he's a very talented artist, wrote a poem for me. And it was to support my Vinny CEO campaign to raise awareness. In 2021, last year, he created an acoustic version with a fellow artist, Andrew Lodesman, was the artist. They did an acoustic version and they named the song. It's called The Little Means A Lot. This song uh, gets me every day. I listen to it between five to 20 times every day. It's a, it, it, is, okay. it is one of the most incredible songs I've ever heard. This year we went to the studio and we recorded it. So the lead with kindness will be for two hours. You will see it perform live there. Matthew Charles and Andrew Lodesman. Now I've been given 
some amazing auction items. I'll tell you a few of them. 17 items. Signed David Beckham jersey. Two signed Tim Zoo gloves. A, a Melbourne Storm signed team jersey. Melbourne Victory signed jersey. Four pieces of jewellery. $1,500 custom suit from uh, Arthur Gallen. A $1,000 Mont Blanc pen. A $1,000 Bar Bambi voucher. A $1,000 Maramio voucher. Carolina voucher. Two Lucilou vouchers. Bottle of Cristal. It's going to be an epic night. Our goal is to raise 30000 that night. The tickets are $150. It will be the best two hours of entertainment. We will donate $3 to every dollar. So the seventy, the 62500 I predict that night will raise thirty forty of my Vinny CEO Sleepout campaign that night. It will be so much fun. There will be about 150 guests. Tickets are flying out the door, about 80, 90 sales already, and I've got about another 30, 40 committed. And where, um, where's it on? And what date and time? It's at 6 Russell Place at a chef's hat at a restaurant called Maramio. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, it's an Italian-infused restaurant. It's voted the best tiramisu in Australia. I go there frequently. I take my clients there. Amazing food. It's on the um, – it's Tuesday, the 7th of June. So it's coming up at 6.30 to 8.30, so it's a two-hour event. So if if, uh, if punters out there want to, and they're in Melbourne, want to buy, where do they go? Is it if just Google lead with kindness? What I'll do is I'll send you both, uh, I'll send you my Everbright link, so you can go to Everbright and buy the tickets directly from there. They're $150 a ticket, and with the Everbright fees, about $9, it's about $159-ish per ticket. Um, there's also a link there they can donate directly to my Vinny CO Sleepout campaign if they're not in Melbourne or Victoria. Every dollar counts, guys. Even $5 if you're short of a cup of coffee. That's $20 impact that we'll have. Please get behind me and all the CEOs. So I'll send you both the links. I'll even send you a little promotional video as well with a little uh, snippet of a little means a lot. It is going to be awesome. And the song will be released at Spotify. A little means a lot. Well, Chris Christoffi, it is an honour knowing you and you are a true force of nature. We wish you all the very best for your fundraising efforts and your uh, CEO sleepout coming up in the middle of the year. Thank you so much for joining us on the Unicorns today and we wish you all the very best with the campaign and in the years ahead. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me.